Well, Raj, uh, our last episode was uploaded on 18th of May, 2022, and now it is mid-January, 2024. So we took a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, but yeah, how are you doing, Raj? That's the normal um, podcast uploading schedule. About If you do it once every two years, that's ideal. <laughs> I'm doing fine. Um like you, I'm very busy, and um, we've been talking about sitting down together and recording for probably two years, or a year at least. Yeah. And our schedules actually aligned. Um, having a baby, having a second baby is a freaking exhausting. One baby is hard, but... Um, two is, is pretty wild and thank God I got three months off of work and, um, man, what a ride. Mm-hmm. So, uh, tell us more about the second baby. Cause that's something some people won't know. Well, um, so we had, a, when we were recording the podcast, I think I talked about Maya probably a lot, um, mm-hmm. We had uh, Maya, and she's uh, three now. She turns three tomorrow. And two months ago, we had a baby boy named James. And uh, he's a little ball of jelly. He's a very big, big boy. And, um, yeah, it's been been amazing. Um, It's been... uh, exhausting doing the whole baby thing again but when you have two of them you can't really relax because when you relax you then have to take care of the other child and having kids is been a very rewarding exhausting experience and i'm so glad i'm so glad we're lucky and fortunate and blessed i don't believe in luck i think i talked about that before but I, we're very fortunate that our karmas allow us to have children so easily. And um, some of my good friends that we've had on the podcast even uh, are trying to have kids. And it just it's not as easy as you may think for everyone. It's nice. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. It's it's amazing. It's a, it's a it's kind of a miracle. It's pretty wild. I would like to interject with when I think about it, it's quite fitting that we ended our final episode with the five stages of the hero's journey we got through. And then we went off, lived our lives, went through those adventures, and now we're back to discuss about it. So completely unplanned, but I like that. So along those lines, how has life changed for you since having Maya and James? We wanted to be one of those parent couples that still lived our life, even though we had kids. I don't know if you're familiar, Rokas, since you're a young, strapping, handsome fellow who doesn't involve themselves with children and parents. But parents have this idea that we'll have a kid or we'll have kids and we can still be individuals. We can still be who we are do our own things and stuff like that. 
that's all not real. <laughs> it's not really possible unless the two parents cling selfishly to their individual pursuits. Where we are right now is full-time parenting and we just got out of the hump of losing sleep. So we can now actually go do things on our own, except you really have to bring one of the kids or plan it out really well. Even staying home to record this podcast was extremely difficult for the first year of thinking about it. So Maya is three, James is two, and he's sleeping through the night. The reality is that once you're a parent, you're a parent, you're in it. I don't recommend trying to do a whole lot of other things. Of course, I'm a part-time college student at the same time and full-time working and helping Helena with her uh, side hustle in her company. So we're doing a lot of different things and it can get pretty intense, stressful and chaotic. But when we have a moment to relax and we're both having a beer or something, uh, we just kind of laugh about it because it's, it feels really good to not do anything. And if we weren't so busy, it wouldn't feel that good. But man, when you put your head down at the end of the day and you're going to sleep, it feels great to be extremely exhausted and, and fulfilled. And I think we've talked about that before, right? In terms of using your energy, putting it to good use. Um, the monks certainly taught me that to be exhausted, to work out really hard every day, to, to make sure you're reading, educating yourself, writing, working. So this is all that and even more. It's very fulfilling. And I don't know. I know you're looking forward to that one day. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are having kids right now. Right. Well, yeah, it makes sense in your life since the people you know are at that age where it's yeah. usually normal to be having kids. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Maybe in a few years or so, I wouldn't mind. Uh, but I am wondering as well, how much has the monk training that you've had helped with your current situation? And how much do you still actually practice from what you've learned in the monastery? A lot of what I learned in the monastery was is still applied today. A lot. Yeah, especially professionally. When I when I'm at work, when I'm interacting with people in the world, my abilities to communicate and be charismatic and and, and be sort of peaceful and uh empathetic and connecting magnetically with other people is a is a daily thing and where i work and what my goals are and who i've connected with at work is showing that all of that those things are very important and people now more than ever i realize that 
people respect that. They appreciate that. They can see when you're doing something differently and they're attracted to it and they want you to join them. And I was thinking about this the other day. So for your life, for my life, for all of our lives, there is there's a hundred other people competing with us, not directly, but indirectly, maybe directly, especially where I work, you're competing with, with your coworkers and you have to do something differently. Like, what are you doing different? I asked myself this the other day, what are you doing differently that is going to give you a step ahead of everyone else when you're in this world of competition? And we competed in the monastery too. You had to, if you wanted to move up in the ranks, you had to be better than the other guys and, and be the example. So when I'm, uh, luckily I still meditate and still uh, worship minimally, but I still worship, I still chant Sanskrit. And I think to myself, I think a lot of these things help. I think a lot of these things give me that advantage, um, especially with um, the uh, promotion I'm trying to get in the future. Just talking about being a yogi and everything is what gave me that um, chance with uh, another department uh, because they're also uh, wanting um, coaches, mentors, who are self-aware and who are yogis, ideally. So oddly enough, all that stuff kind of got me into uh, interviews with with um, higher ups. So still doing all that. Uh, I'm still long-winded, obviously. And uh, actually, I'm still connecting with people that listen to the show when we recorded regularly and talking to them and um, that kind of reminds me of who I am and who I want to be still. And I look forward, um, now that Maya's three, I'm starting to, you know, think about how to teach her a bit of what we've talked about over the years. And with James, I'm excited to teach him what we've learned. So I still need to sharpen the saw and stay sharp because I'm not done teaching and uh, being a father uh, I'm just at the beginning of teaching and being the example. And Helena and I talk about that a lot. So it's still very relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, a while ago, you mentioned connect, still able to connect magnetically with people. Could you explain some more why you think that is? And another thing, does this relate to energy fields do you believe they're real oh yeah i mean we know they're real scientifically we can hook up monitors and measure energy and we can measure various we can see wavelengths and things like that and they increase and decrease for various reasons so scientifically energy is a very real thing our own energy i think is more what's metaphysical our thoughts producing energy, um, our feelings. I mean, but we know that, right? Like we know when we're in a bad mood and 
a good mood. Music can change our mood. Uh, people around us can change things and change our energy. So what I mean by being magnetic is that you can charge yourself up and kind of become more of a powerful person to other people. You can become more attractive, energetically speaking, and pull people into you by doing the work that we've talked about the past few years on this show, by just thinking positive. I'm not even sure if you need to do any work except for smile. So many people out there are kind of just, like I was thinking about this yesterday when I was at the store. So many people walking around, they're just focused on what they're doing. And I get it, right? Like they're busy. They're picking up things and they're going off with their life to try to survive and just cope. But when I was at the checkout line, uh, I everything I said was a <laughs> in in song, <laughs> so I didn't speak. I just kind of sang what was in the cart and stuff. And the lady who was scanning everything started to sing as well. Just <laughs> it was so silly. It was ridiculous. Uh, and then here we are, these two people, and we're both doing the same thing. And she's mimicking what I'm doing because she's like just a cashier at a store all day doing the same thing. It's nice to shake these people up and just kind of say, hey, you know, I get it. We're all in this together. And, you know, this this client, this customer doesn't have to be so boring. I can kind of we can relax a bit. And we were kind of communicating in that way. So that's what I mean, you know, like she won't forget that. And I think that's nice. I think that's a nice way to be. And that's what I mean by magnetic. If you can sense, if you can see through people and see situations for what they are and put them in another light of awareness and and be in the moment, you're magnetic you're you're going to be noticed and you're going to be very valuable to people around you and so within us to actually want deeper connections with people but it seems the more modernized society becomes the more preoccupied we get with our own problems and everything just becomes surface level uh i'm i guess in in an office, when you speak to people, it's mostly surface level. Like there's no reason to go deeper. Well, maybe you're different, but for an average person, whereas if you think about somewhere like Africa, where it is generally, generally a harder place to live, you could say a third world country, but people there are so much more connected. I heard a story from someone where if they say that they'll get somewhere at a certain time, it was only a suggestion because Along the way, they'll stop by at every um, family, like along that path to say hello to them, to speak to them, spend time with them. On any, any, um, anyone who they uh, are passing while going to that destination, they'll stop to speak to. And that just shows a much deeper connection with people. And again, it's intrinsic within us. It's just in modern society, it's a more taboo now, it seems. Well, you you mentioned a good point. It's not always 
necessary to think like this or appropriate to kind of try to connect with people. In certain situations, it is mundane. It is surface level, as you said, that that's, that's very real. That's a good point. And, and it, you shouldn't have to really stress about it and think, am I connecting with people? How can I be more magnetic? It should happen naturally. It should happen fluidly and, and spontaneously. It should be done well. If you're trying to force it, it's it's probably inappropriate or weird or awkward. It's not really is. the norm anymore to like someone you meet, probably because you're unlikely to see them again. Whereas in somewhere like Africa, it's a lot more closer knit communities. You'll know you'll be seeing that person a lot more. So in that case, it's worth that time investment. But maybe that's the problem then, that we're just not as truly connected as we were before. Only maybe online connected, but that's not the same as being in person connected. Well, that's like the newest. That's the newest thing, right? Are we, are we connected with connectivity, or are we dis disconnected? Are we getting into a dystopian world where machines are in charge and you know AI takes over and and. I'd say definitely disconnected just from the rate of loneliness uh, with that people are reporting and depression. That shows yeah. disconnectivity in person. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to really be conscious of it when you're in a relationship. Um, it's something that I've had to be very conscious of because I love technology. I love devices and, and uh, watching different markets and, and and communities and uh, different conversations that people are having. I love absorbing data. And now that data is instantaneous and, and with you all the time, we have to have a balance. We have to have a balance. We have rules in our house for, for data absorption times and when to be present. So I think everyone needs uh, their own rules on when to be present. Um, it's kind of nice having a, a career where you're working with other people because you can't just pull out your phone and, um, you know, start scrolling. You have to be present and, and collaborate, a collaborative. So, you know, it's funny, the, the, in finance, um, finance has taught me that there there's, you can always go past surface level. Even if you're never going to see the person again, you can always go beyond it. You can always turn something surface into something memorable. Like with the cashier thing, like I'll never see that cashier again, most likely. And even if it's at a store, I don't go to that much. Sometimes I still connect with people when it's yeah. 10, 20, or 30 second interaction. It, but that's just part of an anomaly because of how you live life. So how do you recommend to people to be in a similar way to you? You have to want to, to go beyond surface level. And you do have to practice. You have to practice and and... 
a lot of it is just your nature. But I, I guess you could step outside your nature. You don't have to be bound by extrovert or introvert or whatever, or ambivert or what's it called when you're a little bit of both? Omnivert? I forgot. But everyone's a bit of both. I don't know if I would recommend that someone consciously do something uncomfortable like that. I don't know. It's more just intuitive, right? Because of... Yeah. I think you've spent a lot of time within yourself, which allows you to connect more with other people. And through that, you're more intuitive in what you do. And it works out because of that. Whereas if you're trying to force it, then it definitely won't be the same for someone else. Like Rokas, wouldn't you say you're a a perfect example of, of someone who's gone from not being comfortable in social yeah. interactions to someone who's interacting with the world at a high rate? Yeah, for sure. So what is what has your experience been like, you know, in the past, for example, five years from where you were five years ago, who you were to who you are now? Night and day, right? Yeah. Not the same person at all. Insane, yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you think about regularly? Probably not because I want to leave it behind me. But obviously <laughs> there's lessons there to learn from if I do reflect on it. But you should I, reflect I, on it. Yeah, very true. I didn't consider you you could probably help someone who has that question, right? Like what would you recommend? Because you you obviously been a sponge for the past five years. You're mm -hmm. very receptive. You know, we connected. Um, it did that didn't take long. You had the guts to connect with me, really, about the podcast. And you know, you kind of put yourself out there right away. So would you say that was a part of your nature or did you just kind of get courageous all of a sudden because of something you wanted? So here was my motive. Uh, I remember I read Man in the Making, the PDF you made. Then I reached out to you with some messages. And at some point when I messaged you that we had a group call going on and you joined it and we had that conversation, I thought, man, I really want to speak to this person more to learn from him but i need to provide some kind of value to him in order for that to happen i can't just be quote unquote leeching so that's where i decided that if we done this in a podcast format where i just ask you all the questions i was thinking and you'd answer them and then i post it online that would create value for you and i'd be getting value in return uh, by actually learning from you, someone who was a former monk, because I had so many issues back then to walk through. And I did something I definitely needed. So that was the purpose of that, just knowing that you'd also be getting value from that time that we were spending together. And just went from there. I like the value exchange idea. And, and maybe that's something that someone could use who's just breaking into this world is you're, you're genuinely when you're trying to be magnetic, you're genuinely trying to offer value in a way you're, you're, you're not trying to connect for your own selfish reasons. You're trying to connect 
so that everyone is uplifted. There is there is a value thing there that's you're trying to give back. And that's I guess something I've kept since because even now everyone I interact with I just aim to give as much value as I can to those people. Yeah, that's the trick to anything. That's the key in business is adding value, relationships, adding value. The moment you are in a situation where you're sort of just taking, 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 and you don't really offer anything or give anything back, I don't know if that's going to last that long because Mm -hmm. other people are going to start to realize, hey, this person doesn't actually um, return a whole lot. And I think that's where a lot of tech companies are right now, especially in San Francisco. They're realizing, hey, why are we paying this person $150,000 a year to just manage Gmail? You know, we could all do that ourselves or whatever the case is. A lot of bloated companies have to ask that that question um, at every uh, recessionary cycle. So so it is in the macrocosm. It is in the microcosm. We 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 have daily I have thought about this recently, um, this whole thing about relationships really being a daily contract. The contract thing actually reminds me of, of what you asked a minute ago about, is my monk life still involved in my family life? So the biggest aspect of, of the 12 years training that I had is in the way I think. It's not necessarily in how I religiously uh, still worship and behave. It's how I think about things. And I think and then teach. And and, and that process is something I really learned. Um, I guess critical thinking, but more so just philosophizing, coming up with ideas that you don't hear from other people. It's just an idea that you think about because of the, interactions you've had and you get these ideas and then you 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 think about them for a while every day you just it's like a little thinking project and i think a lot and yeah that that's kind of one of the biggest aspects of of my life is my my mind my thinking That hasn't changed at all, no matter how busy and exhausted we get. Helena's the same way. So the point with the relationship contract is if you want to get along with someone and if you want to be in someone's life, you just have to be agreeable enough to sign this daily contract. If you've never lived with someone before, if you're in a new relationship or something or at work, you're just getting people to sign off on a contract that you both agree on the terms with. I like I like business metaphors like that because everyone kind of understands that language in business. Of course, there has to be value on both parties and agreeable terms, and you both sign on the dotted line. And it's the same thing in relationships. It's even the same thing with the cashier or someone bagging your groceries. You're both signing a contract in that moment 
to, to agree on terms. And that's the known order. Now, what changes life is novelty and chaos, right? The, the dragon of chaos. So it disrupts order. And depending on how much we can be disrupted is how internally courageous we are. So if we can be disrupted by novelty a lot and still remain focused, then we're high achievers and elite performers. If a little bit of chaos and disruption ruins the trajectory of success for us, even while bagging the groceries, then we will be stuck in a rut and we won't be able to really push boundaries and succeed because we'll always find an excuse that novelty is kind of changing that contract. Does that make sense? Sounds like, yeah. The second example you gave sounds like someone who externalizes a lot of things and they don't realize that they can't control anything outside of themselves and they take it and they take it internally what happens outside of themselves. You see that quite often. It's a script. It's a false script. Getting upset at the externalities of life is, in a sense, um, trying to say, I, be- I believed that I could control this thing. And since I cannot, nothing can be controlled. And what does anything matter? And I'm powerless. So that's a script that's false. And it's something that we teach ourselves or some people teach themselves. And once we kind of get out of that, uh, then we can appreciate novelty for what it is, stay focused, get back to the contract, and continue on. So that happens in micro moments, and then that happens in the greater scheme of all of our realities. Two things that come to mind from that. One is that they're really only only is the present moment. Future and past don't actually exist. Uh, And having a day-to-day contract prevents you from projecting things too far into the future. Because again, that technically doesn't exist. And something I've heard from billionaires, and I know a lot of billionaires kind of think this way, they don't actually have yearly goals that they focus on is more just day-to-day. They purely focus on their day-to-day. And there's a quote I really liked that went, tomorrow's problems are a blessing for those who have solved today's. And again, that just emphasizes how important the current day is and actually getting the tasks you have done for that day and not projecting too far into the future. Yeah, I would agree 100%. There's a balance to that as well. There's there's that thinking, which is correct. And then there's having longer term, got not goals maybe, but, yeah, but just a trajectory you're heading towards. That completely yeah. makes sense. Like Bezos says what he thinks in 50 year time spans. Yeah. That's a random quote, but something along those lines. So yeah, yeah, in terms of trajectory you had, yes, but it's still made up from those day-to-day goals. Yeah. So someone who's and thinking, that's where oh, the focus is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. I We're both saying the, uh, the okay. same thing. I like that. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> so since we're on the topic of 
day to day, it also reflects on a person's. Uh, this is how it, I don't know how to refer to it, but let's say energy field, because um, there are people who can read those energy fields, whether it's intuitively, consciously, unconsciously. But I do truly believe how you act day to day changes something around you to where it portrays to other people the type of person you are. So if you're 100% um, in terms of integrity, like in day-to-day -day life, if you uphold your moral values and uh, you're in, in how, how would you say that you're an integral person? That doesn't make sense. Virtuous. But you have a strong code of integrity. I think that shows on you. Pardon? Virtuous. Maybe virtuous, yeah. It actually does show on you. Do you believe that as well? Yeah, of course, of course. That's something that Zen Mind Academy has stri strived to teach. The videos that I made in the teaching, uh, the coursework, one of them is about, one of the sections is about virtue. And that's one of the greatest teachings that the Stoics gave us in that time period of philosophy was to be virtuous in character. And, and, and I always thought, you know, okay, how do you break that down into today's jargon? And all virtue really is, is, is practicing moral hierarchies, practicing moral rules in your private life. If you do that, you are a virtuous person because you're you're living a life of higher consciousness, higher mindedness when no one when no one is around. Um, and 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 virtue is comprised of ritual. And ritual is what defines who we are on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, I have given whole uh, lectures and, and coursework on routines that turn into ritual that drive meaning and purpose and make you into a virtuous person. We can then give value because of those private routines and live a life of, of harmony, basically both within ourselves and with other people and ideally our family, friends, and society network that we are interacting with on a regular basis. So that, that's, that's one of, that's, I think how you make someone live a, a, a life well, well lived. I mean, that's a life well lived. I think that's what that means to live well. What else is there? But then there's the different archetypes that I'm trying to look into now. Let me know how much you've, well, what your perspective on this would be. There's the king, warrior, magician, and lover, I believe. And I don't know how familiar you are with those archetypes. Is it something that should a person strive to be mainly one of those things or all of those things? I think I had a different answer for you 
several years ago. What I would say now is that, no, I think I have the same answer. If whatever's appropriate for the moment is what Zen would be, we wouldn't just always be a warrior. We wouldn't always be an activist. We wouldn't always be the monk. Whatever the archetypes are. I mean, there's so many different ones that have been redefined over time. Even, even this isn't exactly related, but even Maslow's hierarchies have been re remade. They're different. They're taught now different at a university level. And I only know that because I was in that university <laughs> class. And, I had no idea. And they remade them. And they're different now. They're more modern and more nuanced. I kind of liked it. Um, the psychology class, by the way, in university was very fascinating. I mean, it was a cakewalk, but it was, it was fascinating. Um, so I'm enjoying that quite a bit, but yeah, I, I would say the same thing. It, that's what, that's what like Bruce Lee talked about, right? Being water, being able to fit into any container. That's what that means, that you you do what archetype you need to. You can be the capitalist. You can be the business person. You can be the parent, the lover, the friend, the fighter. You can be it all. That's that's what I would do. That's what I try to do. I want to be I want to, I want everything. I want I want it all. I want all that to experience everything I can. And to be that, different, put on different hats. That completely makes sense. So yeah, you need the experience in all of those. But do you think there's still, even when you have experience in all, do you think we're, I don't know if programmed is the right word, but we're programmed to deviate more towards a certain category? It's just yeah. within us. Yeah, it's not normal to do what I'm saying. It's not normal to be Bruce Lee. That's... That's the extreme. That's the that's the exception to the rule. It's normal to kind of fall into a pattern and to stick with that pattern and, and to be that archetype. That's normal. Um, most people don't think like we think. It's, it's quite the opposite. Most people do their thing and that's it. And they don't evolve beyond that in this lifetime this reminded me of something i've heard recently this in terms of statistics i very much doubt the statistics are right on this but i wonder if there are people like this so there was some study that came out that said like 40 percent of people don't have an inner monologue i doubt it's actually 40 percent. but i just saw that same thing pop up on my <laughs> feed like maybe two weeks ago <laughs> yeah so Again, I doubt it's 40% of people, but do you think there are some who just don't have an inner monologue? Yeah. I mean, the study was done. I, I, I think, well, in my own teachings and experiences with client work, have we ever gone through the Apple visualization during a meditation teaching? I don't remember. I have taken students through a basic visualization practice where 
And, and if anyone is listening now, they can try this real quick. Close your eyes and just try to visualize an apple. And that's the first step. Can you pull up an apple in that frontal black memory screen, a movie screen that we have when we close our eyes? Can, can an apple appear from somewhere up there? James just farted. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> So can can an apple kind of come up? If an apple can come up, can we choose a color? Can we change a color? Can it be a green apple? If I suggest red apple, could you keep it green? If if I say turn the apple, could you do a full 360 and have any kind of visualization uh, viewpoint that you want? Could you could you change to the top and see the stem? you explode the apple as if there's dynamite inside of it and so i take students who want to learn meditation from me personally if i have a, a student um, that's one of the first classes that we do to see where they are and what they're capable of and i get maybe 30 percent of people cannot see the apple there's no apple. What I do then, not that that's the inner monologue example, but it's an example of three students out of 10 um, do not have visualization capacity. However, I then ask them if they can close their eyes and see the, uh, their, their mother and father's face. And they can. I always have had students that can do that, even when they can't do the apple. So uh, Jordan Peterson talks about that in his book, Maps of Meaning, The Architecture of Belief. Um, it's just a different type of memory. And the apple is new. The app, I mean, we know apples, but trying to pull it up in our mind is a, is a, is a new, spontaneous type of memory. And the Parental image is a, a memory that's been built in from years and years and years of conditioning. So it's not that um, people don't have visualization skills. They haven't honed in switching between different types of their mind, different types of memory. And that can be developed. With the inner monologue, number one, People probably don't even know what that means when they say no, um, and they have it anyway. They just don't realize it. Um, but two, people probably have that capacity. Uh, they've just never used it, or they've never practiced with it. It's never happened spontaneously, and they've never developed it. I don't know, but I do think that that's an interesting thing. Another interesting thing would be to find out uh, how many people talk to themselves and what kind of people talk to themselves. And if those people who talk to themselves have an inner monologue going on. I don't know.
For the Apple example, I could... Uh, it was fading in and out, but I'm guessing that's normal, right? I could only project for like a second at a time. So all the rotating I could do looking from the top, but again, it was kind of fading in and out. Yeah. That's yeah, normal? That's just... Yeah, that that's normal. It's it was so it's so random right now. I mean, some people have to be really in a state of contemplation before that stuff becomes vivid, uh, and then yeah. it's full control. And an apple can turn into a car. You can actually visualize then getting in the car with one of my clients um, who needed help guiding their life. I worked with them uh, twice a week for eight months when I was in Denver. Um, and we would go through what I called um, like mental movie uh, practice. And we tried to get them to have so much control of their mind that they could create their own movie by what I'm saying. So I would guide them through you know, you're getting in the car, you can see yourself going to work, you can run through this. And that really gets someone present, but it also gets them fully in control of their mind. And this is also something I was thinking about recently, when it comes to meditation, and mental control, self control. Um, it's okay, if random thoughts come into meditation, what's not okay is if we let them ruin the meditation we we can we want to take that thought and see it through to the end and actually try to just resolve it as it is in that moment so an example i used to use with students is if i'm meditating and i'm trying to attain kaif which is the shum state of pure pure awareness so i can close my eyes i can breathe and there's nothing else happening there's no mental activity none i'm just there i'm present but a thought pops in about something i need to do Let's use the example of going to the grocery store, okay? When you're a parent, your entire life revolves around the grocery store. <laughs> it's constantly buying food to feed the people in your house. All right, so good. Instead of aggressively trying to destroy that image or that task, I can actually jump into it. Okay, what what did I need to get at the grocery store? Okay, butter. So I can see myself picking it up on the shelf, putting it in the cart. What else did I need? Protein powder. Okay, put that in the cart. And I can do that, go to the checkout, pay, and walk out of the store. And then I can go back to the meditation, or I can go back to Kaif, pure awareness. Now, that's, I think, a really good way to do that. Um, and not to try to push something aside that wants to be there. 
Another uh, te technique I saw a monk do is they would write down that thought. Okay, so you put on a piece of paper, okay, go to the grocery store. Pick up this, this, and this, and then you go back to it. So in a way, we respect the mind and appreciate what it's trying to give us, but we also stay in the moment. We're aware of the mind giving us a thought. Fine. Like, that's good. So that that's like a whole... That's like a whole teaching of our whole life. It's resistance versus acceptance. It's the it's the once ordered state now present with novelty. And so the way we behave in life is the way we behave in meditation, is the way we behave in interactions, is the way we deal with stress. It's all very relatable depending on the severity of the situation. So, um, I mean, all of that goes back to say that everyone deals with their own mind differently. Like the inner, like the 40% of people who may not have the awareness of speaking themselves inside their own head. Um, but you could get those people to learn that you could get those people to think about it. That goes into the monk teaching of the one mind thing. Where, yes, there's, okay, let's say there's 40% of people. There we go. Are kind of um, ignorant to their own mental dialogue. You could train them because, because I have a mental dialogue. In other words, if we have the same mind and I'm aware of one part of the mind, but you're not, I can, or you can be taught how to do what I do. I think that's a, that's a good one. But that was an entire tangent just based off of that one thing you said. I apologize. <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, okay. So it can be learned. Fair enough. And as you were speaking, there's another thing that came up, which is something that will require a bit of context to get into. So here I go. So I'll give two examples for this. But I think everyone has a superpower, which is unique to them. And it's something if they cultivate would make them a very, um, how would I say, maybe it could lead to their success ah, i need to give more context here you go okay so there's someone i know who's very good at reading people within 10 seconds he could see what that person is about through interacting with them and uh, judge them very accurately off of that interaction as because of the experience he's had he's gone through i think it's been uh 20, no, 10 years from the bottom to the top of the music industry, then another 10 years to get from the bottom to the top of the advertising industry, both ruthless industries, and he got to the top of them. I think a large part of that was due to that skill he cultivated of being able to read people. Then a second person, as an example, uh, it turns out he's very good at bringing people together 
into a team and then bringing out the best in them. And that's not something everyone can do. And the way he does it, again, if he continues cultivating it, would lead to him being like in the top however many percent of people who can actually do that, if that makes sense. And both those examples I gave can be used to advance whether it's in your career or in life. And it's something fairly unique to the, I think that each person has to them, which if they figure out what it is, can lead to, again, that quite substantial progress through that, if that made sense. So what do you think your superpower would be in that sense? That was a lot of rambling. Did that make sense? No, no, no. Well, the funny thing is when I was driving the other day, I was thinking about that exact same thing. I was just thinking about how we, every person is brilliant and special in that one way or multiple ways. And if they hone in on it, they can really succeed. <laughs> um, mine is uh, connecting with people uh, immediately. It's connecting with people right away on a deep personal level. That's what has given me like a lot of the things I've accomplished is because I can use networking. I can use that skill to network, to get what I need, to get what I want, to get to the next thing that I'm doing. I use that skill to connect with the right people to at the same time, put in exhausting amounts of work, but those people can then can open certain doors once that work has been accomplished. Um, that's that's probably that's probably it i also think, have i yeah. think i have an odd capacity to um speak a lot and, and parse out data in my mind and then speak about it or think about it I think that's another thing, but I don't know how to, I don't know if that's benefited me at all. Maybe as from your monk teachings, really internalizing it and maybe explaining it to other people, maybe it benefited in that way. Yeah. I had a dream once in the monastery where that, that skill was given to me by my guru. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a whole vivid dream. I was walking up this, I was like walking to our gym up this green, green hill, uh, this grassy hill. And there was standing two of the senior monks and my guru. And there was a wall that they revealed where the gym was. And it was a wall of colored, uh, beautifully colored um, glass type of containers. And the, the color was this, energy or liquid or or substance and they said you know we hereby allow you to have access to these internal archives of data that give you certain skills and abilities and this is like a wall of speech and this is like a wall of writing and you can access this internal archive at will um, 
And I was like thrilled and I was like, wow, and all that in so many ways in inside the dream. And then and then after a while they were like, okay, bye bye, <laughs> time to wake up. <laughs> and then I woke up. I'll, I'll never forget that. It was so clear. But but you were saying. Wow. No, I very interesting example there. And to me it makes sense. Because again, there's so much really, we don't understand about the world. So yeah, I had some really wild dreams and, and experiences in the monastery that I've never talked about. Because when they put you through sleep deprivation, it's so easy to like dissociate and detach yourself from the body. Um, like when you have you ever heard of astral projection? Yeah, yeah. Like that becomes very easy when you're sleep deprived. That is not a difficult skill when you haven't had any sleep. And a lot of the times, uh, like I would do the three, what was it? The midnight, I would do the midnight to 3am shift or even the 3am to the 6am shift in the temple. And I'd go back to my hut and I'd lay down and all of a sudden, like I'd be flying, like I would step outside my body and just decide to fly back to the main temple and see what was going on and fly around the property. Or like this one time I, it was, man, this was definitely the weirdest thing that ever happened to me. Hands down. I was laying in my bed and I fell through the floor in my astral body. And I was like in a grave, like I was six, 10 feet down in the earth. And it was like the scariest thing I've ever experienced. I don't know why it happened, but like a trap door had opened up underneath my bed and I fell through and you know have you ever had that type of dream where you're trying to wake up but you can't freaking move i have an example for that for a few weeks ago yeah, yeah yeah what was that uh okay so i fell asleep in an airplane and i fell asleep leaning forward uh i just kind oh, of wow. like fully leaning forward like yeah, with my hands on my legs and then my head on my hands well, wow, my, a terrible way to sleep. Yeah, but so that happened. And then uh, I fell asleep listening to a podcast as well. So I remember the dream was I'm sitting opposite on a like picnic table outside next to someone. And then they say something which I actually disagree with. Um, but they're speaking to, I see them speaking to a camera, but I'm speaking like opposite them. And I wanted to just um, interrupt them to discuss that topic. And then I say something, but... Oh, yeah, because I had my head down on the table and then I realized I want to tell him something, so I picked my head up and I tried to tell him something, but he doesn't hear it. I don't know. I know I put my head down again. Then he says something else. I'm like, okay, I, I think I should like really try to speak to him again about it. And then I, uh, I think I tried to pick my head up, but then I was no longer able to. And then I tried to move my arms and I just can't move my arms because my arms feel like they're by my side. 
but I just can't lift them. And that felt super weird. And then the only thing I could slightly move from was my hips, like very slightly side to side, but yeah. nothing else. And then at some, and then I'm trying to, maybe at some point I realized like, what is going on? And then, yeah, it tries to do stuff and it's just not working. At some point I did wake up and I realized mom's actually crossed. They're not by my side. And probably that was why the only thing I could move was my hips. Cause that was the only thing actually mobile. Like if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. Something like that, I remember. <laughs> That's the most uncomfortable stuff. It is. It ever. really is. You just lose complete control of your body and you're confused as to why. Yeah. Oh, man. I've had so many so many situations like that. And then what was weird is in the monastery, a lot, like I would say a lot, I would wake up in a different part of my hut. <laughs> I would wake up I remember once I woke up and I was wearing my sheets like uh, some kind of cape and robe outfit <laughs> and I remember like when I woke up I got a memory of what I had been doing and it all kind of came in like downloaded in a moment and I had been like at a royal event, like dancing or speaking, like center stage. And I woke up in the middle of that. Really odd, really odd. And, and it's so clear. The memory is not vague at all. It is extremely clear as if it just happened. I remember the monks saying that, or a reading in, the, in their books, that when things like that happen, their experiences, they're, they're quite valid experiences that you've had. And you know that because they get stronger the older they are. The memory of them stays strong and gets more vivid over time. I was valuable in what way? What? Valuable in what way? Uh, valid so ah. as a real experience not just a fleeting dream that means nothing but more of a vision more of something that went on in another plane and that you were a part of and it was real let's get into that so this is something we talked off camera about but i would like to get on recording as well speaking of other planes and other existences or realities what do you have to add about that? Well, that's a core part of my belief is that Earth is not the only experience, but there are that there are three worlds. Uh, and the Hindu literature uh, teach this, and I, that's one of the reasons I'm a Hindu. Uh, I still identify that with that teaching that there's three levels of this world, this experience, and that's being born on Earth, being born in an astral body and being born in a what's called a causal body or soul body. And um, that you reincarnate on earth until you finish. And then you reincarnate in the, the middle world until you finish. And then you reincarnate into that last world where once you finish with that, you completely dissolve into 
energy itself and you become a part of all of the matter that exists. So that's a very metaphysical kind of thing. And it's just something that has proven itself to me through my experiences. And I'm okay with, with believing in that and thinking that that's real. What's happening to the two other states while you're in on off? So the, the belief is that the, you're in your soul body in that third world. And we are exoskeletons almost, or like in the movie, um, in, um, Um, something inception 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 called inception where they're in in deeper and deeper sub levels wow. of the mind so this so in in hindu uh, mythology they believe that the soul body exists as the core level of who we are mm. and we are layered out to these two other layers and our soul body or golden body is fully matured, finished, and, and, and there existing. And it is projecting two other bodies, an astral body in one world where we're experiencing certain things. And then the uh, part of us going into a physical body on earth. And so these worlds would get more and more subtle and refined as you go if you, as you backtrack in and right now we'd be in the more you could say dense world of pain and experience through pain and hardship and the belief there is that we need to experience pain and hardship yet remain loving and compassionate and as we back up we become more of the a creator type role we change our role the, the 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 more we come back so the idea is once we finish with the earth experiences we then can create worlds and we can manage our own earths and our own souls i guess so we that's the hindu teaching of that becoming a god so to speak and then eventually dissolving with everything that's called God and creation. That is super profound. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the reason of going through that pain and suffering and everything is so, and then remaining with your heart open and uh, still feeling love for people, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think is the purpose for that in order to actually be able to connect with other people then who are going through pain and suffering because that's what probably the universe is and it's unavoidable and you actually need to go through it yourself in order to fully understand it and be able to then relate and help others with it or is it even at a bigger scale than that well well i think everything would be true so that would be true on one level so yes and that's something that we've talked about before mm -hmm. when we experience that kind of pain and we learn through it 
we eventually realized that we did that so we could help others going through it. Okay, but that's all earth. The soul body, I don't know. In other words, I don't know why all of that was created. I don't know what the purpose is except for energy creating itself. Because when you back up to the fullest level of how did the soul body come to be? I mean, who's in, I don't, does it have to be a who, but how? I, who knows, right? Like no one knows, but we know that we're experiencing reality and maybe we'll know why one day. I don't know. Well, so even after 12 years as a monk and looking within yourself, you still don't have an answer to that, huh? No, I mean, no. If we're talking about the answer to why reality exists. Like, Fair enough. Because I, I like know. to say that all the answers are within. Because after speaking to you, uh, all those years, it felt like if you go deep enough within yourself, then you'll find any answer you're looking for. Yeah. And I think that that's very true. But that's a that's one that how can you even begin to fathom an, a solution, an answer? Fair enough. Well, the people it was written by probably understood, no? Like 50,000 or however many years ago. Well, do they? that's a good question. Do the Hindu scriptures outline answers to that question? Maybe it doesn't outline answers, but maybe they would have known when creating the scriptures, when writing them. But it's not something that was written down. Well, what's interesting to think is that, let's say you're on a God level of type type role. Does that, does that even, does that perspective prompt questions? Like, uh, how did, how did I get the ability? Like, how did, who, who's in charge of me? Is maybe you me? Maybe at that point you're purely intuition, if that makes sense. And fully 100% present in the moment, which means no thoughts. Like when you're 100% present and fully intuition, I don't think you have. Yeah, I mean, did I cut out? Oh, uh, there was a blip, but no, I you I, it finished. Um, oh, okay, so you heard everything, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I've thought about that before. I, I think that's true that you would be in a state of pure awareness while you're doing things. But what does space and time mean at that point? And and time is relative because time can be warped. So it's only real for us, like it feels real, but I don't think it is real. Right. I agree. Yes. And that makes sense. So you can get really, this is one of the things that the monks were good at is you can get so far into the realm of conceptualizing reality where where it gets to this point where it's pointless 
Yeah, that's completely fair. <laughs> you know, and and the monks would bring you back from that because we were allowed, from in a sense, to lose ourselves and to go into that and get kind of crazy and mad. But they would bring you back and remind you that it's it's not doing you any good yeah. because our brains on this level. We're here to experience the life that is around us, experience what life has to offer. And then later on, as we move on through the stages, we'll begin to understand more about why that was. But for now, yeah, it doesn't make too much sense to go too deep into it, questioning it. Yeah, I mean, imagine imagine not having the tools to do a job and to think about it, but to not have those tools. (laughs) I don't think that our minds, what we're given in this body, has that capacity from where it is right now to, to, to even conceptualize certain things and to fathom certain infinities. And, and so, gosh, I remember when I first learned about our place in the, in the physical universe and one of the monks who was a really or guy, in fact, mm. which you mm. and I both know in this podcast knows, um, he kind of taught me through teaching me about these things about the astronomy and things like that. And I would come to him after like a week and I'd be like, okay, so what about this? And he would kind of teach me about something else. And then it got to a point where he was like, this is basically as far as anyone can go. We don't know what we don't know. And and we know very little. And it, the, what we know keeps getting smaller because we reveal so much more of what's out there. And then that opens up a whole other batch of unknowns. Mm-hmm. So what we know gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and it stops at a certain point. And all we can do is kind of wait till the next development. So I always thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then at the, once once i went through that i started to think more about this realm and this earth and our capacities for elite performance in this body and pushing boundaries with the tools that we do have and um yeah i'm still still trying to do that Uh, it changes when you get older to, to hold on to that certain amount of grace and elegance as you get older. But I guess obviously there is benefit to understanding it. It's just about not going too deep down that rabbit hole because there yeah. is benefit it can bring to your life through understanding it. Well said, well said. It's not that the thought experiment shouldn't happen. It's that don't don't lose yourself inside of it, mm-hmm. and don't forget about the things that we can change and the things that really matter today, now. You know, because you can lose yourself inside of it. Because if things are really that big and that infinite, then what does this matter, mm-hmm. right? But these things do matter, and, and unless you want to go off into a type of psychosis. You know, and end it all, which people do, especially with drugs. People go 
go really deep down rabbit holes and they're like this none of this matters this is pointless so you don't want it to go that far I think this still technically relates because it is about this half and it's what we're talking about the free worlds do you think once you turn into energy is it that state which can still affect people in the first world or like how would how would those energies mesh together in terms of impacting us in our current world so from the other worlds yeah okay so in our belief system and in the practices of yogic meditation you can contact the soul body and in fact when you reach the highest levels of meditation and consciousness the idea is that you are sitting back inside the soul body and you've basically pulled yourself back to your source of who you really are who and what you really are and that's where you can pick up on other abilities and other skills and other enhancements and 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 uh, unlock those achievements so to speak in this world so marsh i'm actually a super charismatic person i just need to unlock it Give me well yeah yeah basically <laughs> basically yeah interesting it's very gamified i really maybe that's one of the reasons why those those mythologies really stuck with me it's very gamified it's very much like that and um i i dig it if if it's not true then hey it's it's not real but but that's why yogis say that you need to in order to kind of internalize these these ideas it helps to experience them in deep states of meditation and i tell you i've whatever i've experienced that they've they've to me kind of rung true with all of these um scriptural mythologies and and i i've talked to arthur about this before because he's very not into he's intellectual and practical and he demands reality and solutions to reality not logic. yeah yeah logic and not theory and to him and scientific theory and to him when we've had this conversation he says well the things that you've experienced may only be chemicals in your brain mixing and formulating to create those experiences nothing out of otherworldly and that's fine too like mm -hmm. i dig those chemicals because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the end what what belief leads to you living the most fulfilling life possible to you and to me it's believing in that spiritual side precisely and arthur said this once which i never will forget he said what if what you've experienced can be condensed into a pill and someone can eventually in the future take that pill and have the same meditation experience or what if 
What if a discovery reveals what life is all about and it's not what you thought? And both of those realities are fine with me. I would then change my thinking and, and adapt to another way. Uh, I actually remember us talking about that on the podcast, how, however many years ago. And I actually have something to add to that now. I think there is a pill or not a pill. I mean, I'm sure there are some psychedelics which could come close to some of the experience you've experienced. But the problem with that is maybe it's like taking steroids. Like you'll get to that phase of being like super buff, but there's a detriment there because you took a shortcut. So in a way that pill would be a shortcut, which meant maybe you wouldn't learn some of the lessons along the way. So even though you might've had that experience, there's still something missing there. I think that would have to be. Yeah. And I agree with steroids too. It's a good example because you, if you take testosterone and human growth hormone oh, yeah. to enhance your size, once you stop taking those, mm -hmm. your size goes back down. And your body can only retain so much of what you've uh, gained. So I think the same is true with, with psychedelics. They can certainly, and they most certainly do, unlock deep, deep internal uh, realities and, and can definitely connect you with powerful spiritual energy that is really amazing to experience. But once you're done, you're back in this world. And from my experience of having done both, the work that you have to do in this world to get to those things naturally creates a more lasting effect and a more pleasing uh, sobriety, so to speak, when you come back down. Whereas the shortcut um it's not necessarily easy to sustain when you come back down and you don't necessarily know why or how to get back there because you can't you, you didn't do it through work mm -hmm. that being said i'm not against a balanced approach to anything for the most part and and I'm not against someone experiencing those realities through drugs because I have that fortunate experience to do that myself when I was younger and I wouldn't take that back at all, at all. I think I was mature enough. I was around good enough people, great experiences. Um, and those experiences opened me up to the possibility of other energies and realities existing. And I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And I think we can wrap up with that. If you have nothing else to say, because we've been going for about hour 30. So I'd say pretty good length to wrap up. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm excited to uh, tell some of our old listeners that we recorded again and, and hear their <laughs> reaction. And then uh, next episode due in another two years. I'm joking. Hopefully we'll we'll do a few more while you're still off work. Although I am I traveling it. for the rest of the month. Are you? Yeah. Uh, because of work? Uh, because of the fire? Meetings, events, all kinds of things. Yeah. 
That's great. That sounds fun. Yeah. Well, enjoy that. Thank you. What were you going to say before I said travel? Uh, I mean, if we get data and that it shows people listen, then we will, we would do it again if there's a listener. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I'll let you know. Uh, but yeah, it was great catching up, Raj, after basically almost two years. James enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. He fell asleep. Awesome. And maybe it's some. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I don't think this topic will come up in future. And it's something you mentioned before. We'll wrap up with this final topic. Then. Oh, God. So, Maya and James, are you going to bring them up differently considering male and female? Or do you think both will be the same? Oh, uh, oh, it's too late. Okay, okay. So the reality is when you have kids, you don't have to coerce them in any way. Maya, she is who she is. She, she was a person like three months old. She had opinions. She had. <laughs> Uh, uh, proclivities now that she's three she right now she's at a hair salon getting her hair and nails done <laughs> with her mom and then we'll go clothes shopping she uh, has an iPad and she doesn't touch the apps that she, she doesn't touch a football app she touches the app where you can change people's hair and, and put on dresses and create clothing and art and draw. She's been the same way. She will not, uh, she will not wear pants. If she, we have to force her to wear pants. She wants to wear dresses. She wants to choose her clothes. She wants to uh, have many, many clothes like dresses hanging up on a visible rack like she is a girl the girliest girl <laughs> all by herself we did nothing helena is not even as girly as maya wow i'm i'm whatever james wants to do within the realms of what's appropriate until he's 18 you know when I, I I think that when they're uh, when they're legally adults, um, they can go do whatever the hell they want, and and I'll be happy with that. Um, but before then, if James wanted to break the rules or the of gender roles and do something his sister would do, uh, I would say no. If if he wanted to uh, wear his sister's pink shoes, I would say no. We'll go get you some some uh, boy shoes. Mm -hmm. um, so that is something that Helena and I uh, have talked about. And that's something that we agree on because uh, studies show that children who explore those realities and uh, aren't necessarily happier than mm -hmm. if they were guided, which with more traditional routes. Yep. So. And I'm of the firm opinion that uh, children, uh, anyone 
up until the age of like 30 has no idea what the hell they want mm -hmm. and is, is a dumb dumb. Um, so I would never let my children being dumb dumbs decide something so important as social constructs. I wasn't going down that trajectory, but fair enough uh, in that sense as well. It was more in terms of would James's upbringing upbringing be harsher because he's a he needs to become a man, or in terms of like strictness and rule setting, will they both be similar in that sense? Um, the same. I I can't imagine doing anything different just because one's a boy and one's a girl. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't tolerate disobedience from either of them equally. Um, I would hope that we, we are good parents in that way with a balance of strictness and freedom, you know, space and openness, um, as so long as they appear to be uh, playing the game and, and uh, being agreeable to the rules of the game, according to the Piaget logic child psychology um, in the sense that life is a game. We're all players and we need to be able to play well with other players. And if they are socially adapting well and um, not going against our rule of law in our household, um, then they're given rewards and, and shown that if you play the game, the way it ought to be played, then life is a little easier and a little better. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would, I, I have a feeling Maya is going to be a better child than James. I think Maya is going to be more manageable than James. James is probably going to want to hurt himself more and push boundaries. And so he may receive more of a, you know, disciplinary experience, but that will simply be a matter of his, 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 his attitude and behavior, not of my own vision of what a man is. I would just hope that he is virtuous as an adult and, and just does what makes him happy and, and hones in on that skill that we all have and he figures his out, his out. Mm-hmm. Will I do I look forward to like lifting weights with him? Like hell yeah. <laughs> drink beer and shit. I'll I'll drink with him, you know. <laughs> earlier than 21. <laughs> it's just me and him. Yep. And then you'll be able to listen to the podcast as well in however many years. Yeah. By then they'll just be they'll have Neuralink and they'll just Oh yeah. Just download everything. Straight yeah, download it and <laughs> understand it at the push of a button. Who knows? There's no, I, I've never really well, you and I have talked about masculinity a lot, and that's still a very difficult <laughs> definition for me to understand and It's, I, that's that's a really tough one. I, I just think we are who we are a lot. Like, 
I've realized as parents, we do very little to shape our children, if anything. Maya disagreed with me before she could even speak or understand the concept of disagreement. So she understood and, and experienced bad moods and behaviors um, before she was two years old. She was, so I, things, the things that she does, I have no idea how she knows them. I have no clue. She understands like social nuances and behavior and pretends to do certain things that neither Helena and I have ever done. Mm -hmm. Like she will pick up a, um, a doctor toy and pretend to be a doctor. And I have no idea how she learns it. Like she'll put on the stethoscope, uh, uh, I think it's called a stethoscope and listen to the heart and a, a baby thermometer. Cause she has like a, a toy doctor kit and then start taking temperatures when we don't, we have not played through that before. Uh, I, I have no idea. Off TV or the iPad she has, she watched the video. She doesn't watch that kind of thing on TV. I've never seen a doctor thing on her TV shows. Huh. Fair enough. I, maybe there was, I don't know, but mm -hmm. there's many things like that where it's like we, Helena and I look at each other and we're like, <laughs> we've never done that. How does she know to do that? it's really odd so yeah i don't know we deviated again how dare you uh bring up another topic when we're ending <laughs> go just kind of after two years a lot builds up you know <laughs> but yeah great catching up uh happy birthday to maya for tomorrow yeah probably when i upload it it will be her birthday on her birthday so yeah um and yeah, we can do another one whenever we'll be able to schedule yeah. it again. <laughs> Looking forward to it, Rokas. Me as well. And yeah, to the listener, if you listened to over one hour, 30 minutes of this, thank you. Appreciate you it. Award. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully we'll be back some point soon. If, if this podcast goes famous, then we can do a lot more. <laughs> Indeed. Then suddenly time appears. We're able to schedule a lot more. Depends on that. If we monetized it. Okay. So all the best, Raj. Adios.